Uh, good morning again. Um, if you're just tuning in and don't know me, I'm Pastor Doug, and it's my privilege to be able to bring the word today. You know, today, as we were getting started, I just, we're going to be looking at, uh, it's a pretty short psalm. It's a psalm that I know some of you probably have memorized, Psalm 100. Uh, as we continue working through the Mission 119, uh, we're not necessarily going to be walking specifically looking at the text that you're reading, those of you that are, are moving through that project. But we are trying to um, take some time to highlight some of the scriptures that you're reading uh, during the week. And uh, this is, if you are on schedule with Mission 119, Psalm 100 was one of those scriptures that you read this week. But So if you want to turn to that. But, you know, as we get started, I realize that last week, we know it was the Super Bowl week, and most of you, if you follow sports at all or follow football at all, you probably had a pretty strong emotional reaction to that game one way or the other. Uh, I was not happy. So you can explain, I, without going into a lot of details of why I could not in any, as a Steeler fan, for the life of me, root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. Uh, any other year maybe, but not this year. Um, but you know, as when you think about a sporting event or... Uh, something that, maybe you're not a sports fan, there's something that motivates you. I know typically during Super Bowl time, there's always that meme that floats around on social media that we should be as excited about worship as we are about the Super Bowl, and that we need to make sure that we're, uh, who was that? Okay. We need to make sure that we're, thank you, Matthew. Um, I mean, so the, the thought was that we need to dunk the preacher with Gatorade at some point during the, the message, but not suggesting that. But maybe next year. But, um, but, you know, that idea of excitement, enthusiasm, I was, I was thinking in my own experience, probably the times that I cheered the loudest were not watching Penn State or watching the Steelers. They gave me plenty of opportunities to do that. But the things that I was most excited about were the times I got to cheer on the Warren Dragons soccer team when Bryce was playing. And I can still remember Bryce's final playoff game. The year before, they had changed the structure of the um, playoffs and the teams around uh, his junior and senior year. And so both his junior and senior year, they had decent season, very good season, and drew Cathedral Prep in the first round. Um, those who know Cathedral Prep, they're a state-level competition. They recruit from multiple states. They, they, Well, they say they don't recruit, but anyways, sorry. Can we edit that? I just, sorry, but... Um, but, you know, anyways, this is a tough, a tough game. And the previous year, we had gotten just totally destroyed. And I can still remember one of the players, when we were down about eight or nine goals, evidently spoke up during Bryce's junior year and said, Coach, we have him right where we want him. Uh, if you know our coach, that, was not, that did not sit well with him. But, um, but, you know, so we went in knowing that we had just gotten destroyed previous year. Uh, we had a strong game against them. We're really the only team that had played them close that year, and we went into this game with nervousness but excitement, and they played within a one-point game the entire the entire game. And uh, there was moments, I'm taking, I was one of the photographers for the team, and I honestly missed taking any shots of celebration because in those moments after we scored, one of them being Bryce scoring uh, the goal that put us uh, close at the end of the game, um, I was so filled with joy and excitement. I'm like, I physically was shaking, had tears. There was no way that I could even concentrate on what I was doing because there was just a lot of excitement from the Warren fans that 
dead silence from the Cathedral Prep fans. That's a a spontaneous reaction. And, you know, when I read through Psalm 100, I I see a little bit of that type of spontaneity in in the sense of, of, of it's actually in your Bible, it might even have Psalm 100. Some say it's a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm of jubilation. But the psalm is actually, like many of the psalms, are were designed to be used in the corporate worship. It was designed as the people would enter into the tabernacle or, tabernacle or enter into the temple, that they would sing these songs. That it would be it was a part of their focus. And and so this whole psalm, these short five verses, is is giving us a picture of 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 what it means to to really worship with joy and with gladness. Uh, as we look at this, I, I want us today, before even we read the scripture, I, I want us to think about how we approach worship personally. Both corporately as well as personally in our quiet times as well. I mean, there's, on a personal level, worship can be seen in two ways. It's the time that we set aside to be in God's word and prayer and really communing with God. But the broader aspect of worship is understanding that every aspect of our lives is worship. And, and, and how do we approach the personal level of worship? But also, when we gather on Sundays or whenever we gather for corporate worship, how do we do that? Do we do, we do it in such a way that, that there's joy, that there's excitement, that you're tempted to throw Gatorade on the pastor or whatever? I mean, because you're excited about who, who it is that you're coming to worship, not the pastor, not the worship leaders. You're there to worship Christ. And, and you want to focus your heart and your attention on him. I, I realize in this last year, we've had a lot of things that interrupted that. And doing our best to try to follow guidance, we realize that different people have different views about wear the mask, don't wear the mask. But you know, one thing I can agree, I think we should all be agreeing on, whether we're wearing the mask or not wearing the mask, the mask should not prevent us from worshiping. Because we worship from our hearts. When we focus our eyes and our hearts on the Lord, no matter what is happening on our face, we can choose to have our hearts focus on the Lord and know that the Lord is God. And that we come to worship knowing that he not only is the Lord is God, but the Lord is good. That's the central themes. And if you've been following along with Mission 119, uh, Reverend Soper talked about that, and they looked at Hebrews 11 and kind of giving a summary of his, our time in Genesis, and, and that the, that theme was central throughout the book of Genesis and, 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 and is central in the Jewish people's life and, and as a community of faith, that they understood that the Lord, Yahweh, is God, and that the Lord, Yahweh, is good. Let's go ahead and uh, look at Psalm 100, and I, I hope that we can hear this in such a way today to really just reflect on our own hearts and our own lives, to say, are we approaching worship in such a way that there, it brings joy? We may show joy in a different way. I, I know I've, some of you have laughed at times when I said, I know I'm not a bubbly person. That's not my personality. But if you've watched me watch a soccer game or watch, you've watched me get excited about something going on in my life or something that the Lord has done, you, you have those moments of joy. It may, I may look different for different people. But there's no doubt when we read this text that we should be moved within our hearts and our lives as we approach God in worship, corporately and individually and in our lives. It should move us. There should be joy. There should be gladness. There should be thanksgiving flowing out of our lives. Well, let's go ahead and read Psalm 100. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, and again, I've said this before, but if, if it's capital, all four capitals, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's, the, that's the, the name of the Lord that when a Jewish person would be reading the text, they would get to that point, they would not say Yahweh, they would say Adonai. They would, they would say the Lord out of respect. So the specific statement in verse 3 is, know that the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, that he is God. It is he who made us, we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Two clear themes in these, in these stanzas is, is that statement that the Lord is God and that the Lord is good. Those two statements are at the heart of everything that's in these verses. And, and, and what we see in these verses is that this is an invitation to worship the Lord. This is an invitation to worship, to choose to worship. Psalm 100, again, one, verses 1 through 2 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That, that first phrase, make a joyful noise, could literally be translated, shout for joy. And that's actually how it is translated in Psalm 61.1 that says, it's very similar, shout for joy to God, all the earth. There's, it's an expression of, of, of joy, of loudness. It's, it's that statement, or it's that reaction that someone gave me when I talked about the excitement we should have in our worship, like watching that game. And someone, I think it might have been Matthew, that yelled out, you were rooting for Kansas City, weren't you? Sorry, okay. <laughs> You're still excited about what's important. So, And I was rooting right there along with them, but. Yeah, that, it said I, you, you have that spontaneous moment that, I mean, that, that moment where I see Bryce score probably the most important goal in his, his high school soccer career and, and against the strongest competition that they play. And, and I mean, the, the joy, it's, it's spontaneous. It's, it's a shout. It's excitement. And so this invitation to worship is starting with that statement of make a joyful noise to the Lord. Shout, to joy, shout for joy to God. It's something that flows out of us, and, and there's energy in this. And the statement is, is made, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who's it addressing this to? Few people? No, all the earth. There's, there's two themes here. That really, that's the, the, the people of the earth are the subject of all of this. Like it's, it's, they're the ones being challenged in this scripture to respond and yet there's also, we see later, we're going to see there's, there's also an aspect of, of God's people, chosen people, and their reaction to God's call and his working in their life. But this general invitation we see in verse 1 and 2 is an invitation for all people. It's to all the earth. All who God created are, are invited to worship their creator. Verse 2 says that we're to serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. That word serve can be translated worship, can be translated to serve. And, and there's an overlap throughout scripture. The, the same word can be translated in different ways. And, and that's important in, in two things. One, in the context of these verses, it's very clear that the, the understanding of the idea of serving 
the Lord with gladness in these verses, it's talking about corporate worship. It's, it's saying when we're coming into God's presence, we're entering in through the gates, we're going into the courts, so all this language that we see, it's, it's we're moving in to worship God. It would be like for us, as we're pulling down Route 59, we're pulling into the parking lot, we're getting ready to walk into worship together as a congregation, there should be an excitement, a joy that's building because we're coming to worship the Lord. It's an invitation to all people. And, and so the context here is definitely corporate worship. It's, it's interp- interpreting or translating this word that can be translated serve in worship. It's focusing on the idea of how we go into God's presence, entering into the tabernacle, entering into the temple, entering into our sanctuary, or wherever it is we gather for worship. Right now, many of you in your living rooms, you're setting that space aside as sacred and saying, I'm here to worship the Lord. You know, I always found that the interplay between that word, the fact that that word could be translated worship or serve, it also reminds us that our life, as those who are giving their life to follow God, and and as Christians especially, to to be Christ followers, where we surrender, we see the sacrifice Christ has made for us, and we offer our lives to Christ as a living sacrifice, as a reasonable act of service and worship to God, That as we surrender our lives, we understand that worship is not just about what comes out of our mouth on Sunday between 10 and 11 o'clock. Worship is something that flows out of our life in every aspect of our lives and how we live. It's recognizing that all of our lives, every aspect of our lives are to be lived out in a way as an expression of our worship to God. We're invited in this moment, all people are invited to serve the Lord, serve their creator with gladness. And and you have this statement, uh, look at some of the language. We talked about the joyful shout, or the shout for joy. We, We talked about serving the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Steve and Diane, I don't know if Brenda's picked up on this yet, but um, they will tell you that they normally can hear me coming if I'm walking throughout the building. Not that I'm singing, but I'm usually whistling. Um, And I I had someone tell me years ago that you can't whistle if you're discontent. And I think there's truth to that. I might be stressed, might be something else on my mind, but when you whistle or when you're singing softly to yourself, it's usually something that's just kind of an overflow of your life that in that moment you're just you're excited about it, you're kind of singing, you're you're singing or whistling or whatever it might be you're doing. Some people I know hum. But it, it's often is an expression of contentment and joy. What we see in these verses, whether it's the joyful noise or serving the Lord with gladness or coming into his presence with singing, you see a very intentional focus of of those that are being invited to come into God's presence to worship him, that 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 it will be be moved to shout for joy, that we'll be moved to worship with gladness, and and that our songs will be spontaneous in the sense of flowing out of our hearts, being expressed to God in our worship. You read that and think, well, how do I get there? Because, I mean, any of you ever have a Sunday morning or a time of worship? That you walk in and say, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. It's pretty bad when sometimes the pastor might feel that way. We, we always have to examine our hearts. 
look at our hearts and our lives. And, and that includes pastors, that includes the volunteers, that includes the worship leaders. We, we have to be looking at our hearts and, and, and asking ourselves, are we really preparing our hearts to enter into God's presence? What I love about this psalm is you look at these first two verses, it presents this picture of worshiping with joy, worshiping with gladness. And, and we might ask ourselves, well, how can I worship this way? And that's what the rest of the verses tell us. And so I want us just to keep reading and, and look at what these verses tell us about how we can choose to worship with joy. We can choose to worship with gladness. We can experience that spontaneous joy of singing coming out of our hearts and our lives. Verse 3 tells us the first and most key issue of this whole, this whole chapter. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, Yahweh, that he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This statement to know here is, is not just head knowledge. This is not just an intellectual assent. This is not the idea of just saying, yeah, I know this to be true. This is moving to a point of recognition and acknowledging it. It's like you're making this as a personal confession. You're declaring this. It's, it's what the Proverbs in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us when, when we're told to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. That idea of acknowledging him is, is to know him, to acknowledge him, to recognize him, to embrace that truth to where it moves from what Katie was talking about last week from our head to our heart. That we embrace this to be true, that we, that we understand that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. And that's what we've been, if you've been walking through Genesis, you see from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to Joseph, they're all imperfect people. And you see and you read their story and you see they're discovering the truth that Yahweh is God, that he is the true God. He is the true creator. He's the one who called them. And he was the one who is from Abraham on is forming his, his own people to be a blessing to this world. You see it in each of those characters' lives, this, this, this move from where, especially I know we, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jacob. Jacob consistently talked about the God of his fathers, but it wasn't until the end of his story that he understood that the God of his fathers had become the God of Jacob. He had moved to a point of not just knowing in an intellectual way, but embracing, confessing, acknowledging that truth for himself. One of the commentaries I like to read is it's actually written for translators, missionary translators. That, and, and I always find the insight really helpful um, because it's, it tries to say, well, how do you take this from what the original language is saying and translate this into a, uh, a, lot, of, a, a lot of different cultures and worlds that have different ideas of language? They, they make this statement. They say that one possible translation of this would be to say yes in your heart. To say yes in your heart. It's like that spontaneous statement of amen. When we hear something we know is true and we believe it, we affirm it. That statement of so be it, saying amen, is that we're saying yes in our heart. We believe that to be true and we're, we're devoted to that truth. And, and, and we're, we're acknowledging it. We're confessing that truth in our life. We need to embrace the truth in our life that, that the Lord is God. In our corporate worship, I think one of the most important things is when we gather, we need to remember that our eyes need to be fixed 
on God. As Christians, we understand the role that Christ has has played as the Son of God. He has made the way for us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We come with our eyes fixed on God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We come with our eyes fixed on him. And and, and I think sometimes we're tempted to say, well, we got to put away the problems. We got to put away the distractions. Actually, I think part of our worship is having our eyes fixed on him along with everything else that we're holding on to so that the problems, the challenges, and everything that are stressing us out are put into perspective. Because when we fix our eyes on God, all those things that are concerning us are put into perspective. We, we see them that God is, God is bigger than the problems that we're holding on to. God is bigger than the challenges that we hold. In our corporate worship, we need to make the choice to say that I'm going to know that the Lord is God and approach our time of worship with our eyes and our hearts fixed on Christ. In living our life of worship, we're, we're taking the truth of what we read in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways. We understand that it's not just about taking time to be in God's word and prayer every day, which is important and why we're doing the Mission 119 Challenge to get you into that habit. But it's also important that we understand that, that our lives are to be lived as an, a life of worship. And, and part of that is recognizing that the Lord is God in every area of our life. As Christians, we, we, we equate that word, that statement that the Lord is God, that Yahweh is God, to a statement that is central to the New Testament message, that Jesus is Lord. We're reminded, uh, I mean, everything in the old is pointing to the new. It's, it's pointing to Jesus. It's leading us to that place of understanding that Jesus is God in the flesh. And when we proclaim Jesus is Lord, we're lifting him up in the same way that the Old Testament writers would have said that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. Jesus is Lord, and, and he needs to be the central part of our uh, corporate worship as well as our private worship. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Verse 3 goes on to say not only that the Lord, he is good, or he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It says that he has made us. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I don't want to overlook that, because when we, when we have our eyes fixed on God, and we understand God as being our shepherd, he not only created us, but that we are his sheep, and he is our shepherd, it gives us that picture of God's care and concern for us. He didn't just create us and say, go on your merry way. He created us and desires relationship with us. He desires that we walk with him in a way that we know his leading, we know his direction, we know his guidance, and we know his care in our life. That's the theme we see in the 23rd Psalm of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want that theme of, of God shepherding his people is a reminder not only that our eyes need to be fixed on God, our shepherd, on Christ, the good shepherd, but we need to embrace and celebrate the, the care, the direction and the care that God provides us as our shepherd. Verse four continues, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Again, you see the theme of this, how this psalm would be used in worship corporately. Israel would have been using this to, as they would walk through the gates, as they would enter in the courts, they would be entering with praise. 
with shouts of joy, with singing. But they also were entering, giving thanks. And, you know, this, I think, stands out. Verse 4, it's kind of, it's like a chicken or the egg type of thing. Because part of this is showing what is happening as the people are entering into this time of worship. They're entering and expressing thanks. But there's also an aspect which under, that I think on a human level we can really understand this. And in our Christian life we understand that if we move away from a place of expressing thanks to God, it can really derail us. But when we focus on God, when we know that the Lord is God, and we begin to think about who he is, and think about all that he has done for us, it creates within us a heart of praise, a heart of giving thanks to God for who he is and what he has done for us. And and so in answering that question of, well, how do we worship with gladness? How do we worship with joy? How do we have that spontaneous experience of singing where, where we're just excited to be able to worship our Lord and our God? I think part of that is we have to cultivate hearts that are thankful. We have to take time to pause and think about all that God has done for us. As Christians, we sang, we sang this morning. It's an old song that I used to lead a lot when we were in McKeesport. I was surprised when Elijah picked it this week. It reminds me of going back to the Promise Keeper days in the late 90s. But I love the message of the, the song, That's Why We Praise Him. It's because, because Jesus laid down his life for us. He, he's, he's not only creator. He's not only given us the gift of life. He's given us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And, and we, the only reasonable response, according to Romans 12.1, the only reasonable response to the sacrifice that God has made for us in sending his son and the only reasonable response to Jesus' sacrificial love in laying down his life for us is to lay down our lives as living sacrifices, as our spiritual act of worship. When we think of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, when we look at all the blessings that come from God's hand as our creator, we have so many reasons to give thanks. And it transforms us. And when we, when we come into God's presence with a heart full of thanksgiving, desiring to just go and say, I want to show up to give thanks to God today for the way he's blessed me this week. It will change the way that we approach worship. Verse Five, final verse, says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We're, we're shifting here from the, the call to thanksgiving. We're, we're shifting to that second key statement, that the Lord is God and that the Lord is good. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. It's, it's, it's focusing on the very character of God. We can thank God for all the blessings that we experience from his hands, but this is focusing on who God is and his character and his nature. And, and, and it motivates us to, to have faith, to not only trust that the Lord is God and he can be in, that Jesus can reign in every area of our life, but it, but it also reminds us that the Lord has good intentions towards us, that the Lord is good. And I probably overquote this, but one of my favorite scene, or parts of the Chronicles of Narnia story and it's in two or three places throughout the books. When, when asked if Aslan, the great lion, rep- that represents Jesus, 
there are multiple occasions throughout the stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, where the kids ask, well, is, is he safe? And the response, I think the first encounter was with Mr. Beaver, and Mr. Beaver's like, safe? No one said anything about safe, but he's good. That, that beautifully captures what we're talking about here. The, 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 the great lion, Aslan, is above all things. In, in, the, in the story of Narnia, he represents Jesus. He could destroy us easily. There's power, there's majesty in, in the character. But we can approach him because he's good. God demonstrates from Old to New Testament and throughout the story, we see the goodness of God. As Christians, especially when we look at the cross and we see what Jesus did for us, we celebrate the goodness of God. John Soper in his commentary on that the week or the, the week that we or the day that we read from Hebrews eleven and Psalm one hundred, he, he summarized all of the Genesis account of looking at Abraham and Isaac and, and, and Jacob and Joseph. He said each of these characters were being reminded that faith is living a life of obedience and trust based on the realization that the Lord is God and that the Lord is good. And, and we have to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, have we embraced those truths? Are we embracing the truth that God is God over my life? Have we surrendered our lives in such a way that we acknowledge him in all of our ways? That we're accepting his reign in our lives. And this is, again, where as Christians, we focus on that most important truth in the Christian life, that Jesus is Lord. We have to ask ourselves, is Jesus really Lord in the way in which I'm surrendering and acknowledging him? Jesus is Lord whether we recognize it or not. And there's a day coming that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But part of our Christian worship is acknowledging that truth and recognizing Jesus as Lord now and surrendering our lives to him. But in doing that, we also, we do that knowing that he is good. You know, as we think about Jacob and Joseph, especially the Joseph story really just stands out on the, on the he is good. I think Joseph ever doubted that. If I was in Joseph's shoes, I think there'd be moments that I'm like, God, I, I, I'm really struggling. Are you really, are you really good in all the situations? I'm, I'm betrayed, my, betrayed by my brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned. All the challenges that Joseph was facing and, and all of that, you could see they'd have, there would have been temptations for Joseph to, to say, I, I'm not sure he's good. You know, and, our, and when we look at the rest of the story, we see God's goodness and that he put Joseph in a place where he would not only save his family, but he would save the known world at that time. God was working through Joseph's struggles and his, and his tragedies, and he was still God in all of it, and he was still good, even in those moments where Joseph may have struggled to accept that. And, and maybe you're in a place where you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling with that statement to understand that Jesus is Lord, that the Lord is God, and that he's worthy of us coming to him and surrendering our lives to him. Or maybe you're struggling with that second part of this, that, that the Lord is good, and you need to re- remember Jesus' words. He said that the, that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give life and give it abundantly. God wants us to know his goodness. 
The psalmist addresses this again and again. Psalm 34.8 says, O taste and see that the Lord Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Later in Psalm 27, after talking about the struggles, like many of the psalms do, you see kind of a lament, the struggles. There's a statement of affirmation. That even, even in this moment of, of struggle, in the moments of struggling to maybe see God's goodness, you have a declaration of praise, or a declaration of hope. In Psalm 27, 13, it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Part of our faith is, is not only re- recognizing Jesus as Lord of our lives, recognizing God as, as God over us in all aspects of our life, but to recognize that he is good. And, and, and these verses highlight two aspects of God's goodness. He is good in that he is ste- his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. His steadfast love, God's chesed, it's his, his covenant loyalty. It basically reminds us of the fact that no matter how many times we fall short, no matter how many times Israel fell short, no matter t- how many times Jesus' disciples fell short, no matter how many times we fall short, God always holds up his end of the covenant. God's steadfast love endures forever. And along with his steadfast love is his faithfulness. We may have moments of being faithless. We see it in Israel, we see it in the disciples, of moments of being faithless, and yet God is always faithful. And, and his, God's steadfast love, his, his loving kindness, and his faithfulness to us are all expressions of God's goodness toward us. And, and I just pray that today as we, as we close that you would just pause and recognize in your own heart and your own life that Jesus is Lord. To recognize God as, as, as Lord over all of your life. And then to pause and reflect on his goodness. And, and let an, a, a picture of his goodness move us to that place. Again, getting back to verse 1 and 2. When we see the, the Lord is God, when we fill our hearts with thanksgiving, when we, when we focus on the character and the goodness of God, his steadfast love and his faithfulness and all of who he is, it moves us to those shouts of joy. It moves us to that place of worshiping with the same excitement that you might have had watching whatever team you might have been supporting. God wants us to have a joy and a gladness as we approach him. It may look different for all of us, but it needs to move from our head to our hearts. And I invite you to just pause and reflect as the worship team comes to lead us in our final song. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for these words and and the reminder, Lord, of the the simple and yet most profound truth, Lord, that, that you, the Lord, are God. You are the creator. You are above all things. You are worthy of our praise. You gave us the very gift of life. And as Christians, we, we renew that statement and we celebrate that statement in saying that Jesus is Lord. Because all of the old points to the new and points to who Jesus is and, and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And I just pray that today that we would embrace that truth in our life and, and accept Jesus as Lord in every aspect of our lives, especially as we approach him in worship. 
But Lord, may we examine our hearts and make sure that we're, we have hearts full of gratitude, hearts full of praise. And may we pause and reflect upon your goodness, on your steadfast love and your faithfulness toward us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.